and welcome to the Super Fun Time Podcast Thingy Hour, the sort of podcast, sort of YouTube show where we discuss any and all topics in the world of nerd. I'm your host, Jordan, and once again, joined today by my good friends, Matt and Eric. Say hello, boys. Today is May 13th, 2020. Uh, Last week, we chatted about our favorite comedy films. Uh, Today's topic is on Stranger Tides, the fourth installment of the Johnny Depp is a Funny Pirate franchise. Mm -hmm. No, I'm just kidding. We're talking about the Netflix original series, Stranger Things, uh, currently comprised of uh, three seasons with a fourth slated for a uh, 2021 release. Just before we get started, I just wanted to underscore uh, the fact that uh, this is a highly intellectual, cultured, and sophisticated podcast by having a glass of wine. Cheers, boys. It's very intellectual. Yes. Ah. Alrighty. Um, is everybody caught up on the show? Yeah. Eric, I think uh, when we were talking last week, you said that um, you still haven't seen uh, season three. You got to that this past week? I did, yeah. What yeah. did you think? Um, I enjoyed it because it's Stranger Things. So I'm yeah. so like, s- since I first watched the first season of the show, I've been really quite obsessed. So I would say um, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, and, you know, probably I could critique it as well. Like in, in retrospect, I could critique it. And after I watched it, I went and like binged on a lot of YouTube videos of people critiquing the show because I wanted to see that angle. Um, but definitely at the time, I was just full on like rose tinted glasses, just loving everything about it pretty much. Other than the really, like Lucas's little sister is so annoying. That is the one thing. And mm. like, I was thinking about that, how like, I'm not sure that I could really bring that up as like a criticism. Because the fact that I hated her so much and the fact that it elicited such a strong, like visceral, emotional, guttural hatred in me, I think speaks to how well the character is written, right? Like it's not a critique against the show. I think they did like a really good job. And like the, I don't know the actress's name, but she did a good job playing the character. But like just uh, like on a, like from a personal perspective, I could not she's the most i mean like look okay i don't want to exaggerate so i'll just say she's worse than hitler she was (laughs) was the worst yeah she she was kind of just like a little like a a footnote in i guess season two um an extremely minor character that was brought in just to like make an occasional gag so the fact that they made her like an almost sort of major character was really surprising and extremely aggravating. But I guess yeah. that was the whole point of the character, really. Yeah, I mean, thinking about it, her character was the exact same that she played in season two. But in season two, she just only showed up like barely ever. Yeah, uh, but I still found her in one But yeah, to have her as a main character, like, that was, that was a bit much for me. I mean, uh, there was a few moments where things sort of came together with her, but... Yeah, her, she's just always like angry. <laughs> always kind of just, just ripping on people constantly. Yeah. Like, okay, we're, we could die. Could you just be nice before we die? <laughs> yeah, she didn't seem to have a kind word for anybody at any point of the entire <laughs> series. Even when, like, near yeah. the end, when she was like kind of accepted as part of the group, at least 
acknowledging that she's there. So, but uh, yeah, every time she opened her mouth, it was just pure nastiness. <laughs> but as aside from that, though, I and maybe it's just because I just got finished watching it myself, but I feel like season three might have been my favorite so far. Why is that? Oh. Um, I don't really know why. I think I, I, it just, it seems like the type of series that just keeps getting better. Like, cause I think I like the second season more than the first one. Hmm. Um, and it just, uh, like it, this is the danger with ongoing series. I've, I've mentioned this before that, um, uh, I think that things have value because they have an ending. And so the longer things go on, um, not only do you increase the risk of writers backing themselves into a corner, um, but also just, uh, I mean, even if the writing remains strong, it's just going to have diminishing returns. But so far, um, I think it's, it's just continued to, to strengthen over time. Um, and I like how the characters are developing, the lore goes deeper. Um, and I don't know, like every, um, like each season seemed to be the next logical step. You know what I mean? Okay. But I will say this though, I think if the first season has um, a particular strength that the other ones are lacking slightly, that I really appreciated and that this seemed to be sort of a bit of the draw of the series, at least to begin, was that it was the scariest season. And that was sort of the thing, right? It, it, it um, uh, you know, promoted itself as being like a, you know, a, an homage to 80s drive-in horror films. Right. And uh, the, la the later ones, they had like the thrills, but I wasn't ever really, like really scared. The first season was pretty scary in some parts. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Go for it. I think as the seasons moved on, like, like these characters have become like, unfortunately accustomed to everything mm -hmm. <laughs> and they know how to deal with all this stuff now where first it's like what why is this monster oh my god we're like where's will we gotta get him out dnd references yeah you know now that you mentioned that um i think that might have also been one reason why i really like season three because it wasn't just part three of everybody shit on will <laughs> because it was just like like season one, um, it made sense because they just had to pick a character for this to happen to. And season yeah. two, it made sense because he still has that connection. But if they were to just do that a third time, I would have been like, guys, like, let's come up with something a little new, you know? So I'm glad that, like, I guess they had, I guess they had that, uh, like, he still had that, like, tingle at the back of his neck so that he could, you know, tell something was about to go down. Um, but right, yeah. But at least it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't just all about how like Will's life is gonna completely fall apart a third time. I feel like, um, yeah, I know what you mean about the first one being the scariest. And uh, see, it's like it's like when you have a cat and you don't like you have a cat since it was a kitten and you don't notice that it got bigger but then somebody that visited when it was six weeks old and then when it was like a year old is like oh my god it's fully grown and you're like oh how'd that happen you, um, can, you can you can tell we don't have kids <laughs> because yeah. if we had kids we would have said that 
<laughs> yeah, you own cats for kids. <laughs> I thought I thought the same thing about my cat. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that way with the show, going back and looking at the first season, I kind of forgot, yeah, how dark it was. And it makes sense because the first season had to pull us all in. We didn't know any of the characters. We didn't know anything about it. And it was just all mystery. And um, it was like very, very dramatic and um, super cool like that. But then like seasons two and three, uh, you already knew everything. So it's got, they both have part of that vibe that happens with any sequel of anything where like the, or I suppose there are some sequels that don't do this, but for the most part, like Hollywood type of sequels always like are like relying on the audience being stoked about the characters and the universe and everything. And they're kind of always like elbowing you like, ah, remember these guys, ah, you had fun before. (laughs) So it's more of like a fun, happy vibe. They like, uh, how complicated some franchises get they pretty much depend entirely on on that because like you know you can't for you know when avengers 4 comes out they can't do a recap of every single character they have to take for granted that the people sitting in this theater have probably already seen the other 22 movies that came before this but yeah in terms of like the progression too um it kind of reminded me that way um sort of like a video game how like, you know, you'll encounter certain enemies in like the first level and then like the boss at the end, you're like, oh, like this is clearly the boss of the whole level. He's like a bigger and stronger guy than everybody. But then like you get into later levels and now you start encountering that character all the time. The boss character is now just a a normal everyday guy, right? So sort of like that with the Demigorgon. The Demigorgon was like, oh my God, this is like the devil. But yeah. then it becomes a total banality, right? Like there's bigger fish to fry. Yeah, I uh, I feel like I in in season three I really missed uh, the upside down and that like that whole vibe of it. Because even season two, like I really liked, you know, the mind flare was this huge thing like out in like the red thunder and like that was just super cool. And they explored the upside down a lot in that one, uh, whereas. Yeah, in the third one, it was really all about like the mall and the weird yeah, fucking the Russian state mall. But like <laughs> the the Billy plot line with like the people's minds getting taken over and stuff, like I would I do wish they would have focused more on that. And yeah, that was on, cool. Like, the, I don't know the village of the damned kind of vibe. Yeah, and it, you mentioned Billy. Like he he started to become one of like not the nicest characters, but like one of the characters that I like the most. They were trying to endear him. Yeah, absolutely. When he was such a shitbag in season two. (laughs) Yeah, he was the voice. But like, even then, like, I don't know if it was the second last episode of season two or whatever, they revealed that he's got like, you know, he comes from an abusive home and so he's just kind of emulating it all. So you get that sort of tinge of like empathy for him. But uh, yeah, they really kind of... uh, exemplified it in throughout the the whole third series and kind of played with that idea of like you know these people that are bullies are really just as much of a victim as the people they push around and i thought that like in in a sense the whole like it was kind of an allegory in general to how um childhood trauma can manifest itself in like really scary ways and really violent ways it's like, because when, when, um, 
when L is like looking into Billy's mind for the first time and they're talking about trying to find the source and that's like somehow that's where it comes from is one of Billy's memories as a child when all of his happiness is torn away. So it's almost like it's making a metaphor for like the abuse that he suffered is like literally the source for like all of the horror that happens in the, in that season. I definitely felt an implication of that. Like just the fact that like, it felt kind of random to be going back to one of Billy's memories. I know she was like connecting with him psychically or whatever. So it kind of makes sense. But then like, like that with like the red thunder and like implying, I don't like, I don't know. I guess that could have just been because he was currently possessed by it, but it kind of did feel like it almost gave me, like, I feel like Twin Peaks kind of had stuff like that mm. where it was like, showing that even though they just encountered this super evil like it's been around for longer than that or something like that definitely i i don't know i feel like i got that kind of vibe i don't know if that'll play in or like if they're like yeah i wonder if they'll make it a, a bigger thing where it's like hmm. you know this is an evil that's been plaguing the earth for ages or if they'll just never go there well you know how they keep um sort of um trying to explain uh, things uh, through their um, comparisons to D&D. And I think there's a line specifically when they like, so obviously the Demigorgon isn't a literal D&D Demigorgon, but that's what they yeah. like draw the comparison to. And so when they're drawing the comparison to the Mind Flayer from the game, there's a line specifically about uh, something like he, it's a being so ancient, even it doesn't know where it's from. Mm. So yeah, it definitely does seem like that's a lot of what the upside down is about. Like, because I mean, in, indeed it's like a, it's a flip of our universe, but everything is in total decay. So like, it's, that's just how old everything really is. But it's kind of weird though, because it can't it can't just be another world it's it's like it's um its sole purpose is to be a negative because you get things like buildings that exist in our world you know if it was just another world that really is that ancient well like who built this like you know local public library yeah you know, it that is, doesn't make sense it's like a parallel corollary yeah hmm. Um, so yeah, the, it, one of the things I love the most about the first season was the, like how they played, I don't know, like in my mind, I guess the whole season blew by quickly because it was only eight episodes, but in my mind, they were playing D and D like almost every episode or like at least throughout the beginning of the season. And it was like, felt like one, it like brought you to that place of like remembering when times more innocent, when people weren't just like on the internet all the time and whatever people they were just like sitting down playing i i never played D, &D but it like watching them play it seemed like fun you know like if i would have had those kind of friends over here or something um and yeah watching them go through that process of discovery and like trying to figure it out and comparing it to the game i don't know see yeah that it seemed very cool to me and i remember in the second season when like even the trailer showed them like playing at the arcade and then that was like a big thing in the first episode was them at the arcade and 
I remember hoping like that there was going to be like an arcade like parallel to the second season where they were like relating everything to video games somehow. Mm. Yeah, well, there was something um, how they tied it in. This was more of um, I'm I'm not sure if it was exactly metaphorical or or just sort of like as a quick little like nod of symbolism just to kind of make it neat for the viewers and they weren't necessarily trying to imply anything deeper but the game you'll remember that mad max was the expert in was dig dug mm. and that ends up being sort of the secret is that it's all about tunnels mm. right they yeah. do things kind of like that these weird sort of parallels like in the third season um how it all culminates in a shopping mall Right. If you remember in the very beginning of the season, um, I can't remember which characters it are, but uh, it is, but I think it's Dustin. And I'm not sure who else he's with. It might be the whole gang. I can't really remember, but how um, Steven uh, sneaks them into the theater. So they're watching a movie right in the beginning. And it's, I think it's Day of the Dead. And yeah. I'm not sure, uh, I'm, not, I'm not, this isn't my wheelhouse zombie movies, but I think it was Dawn of the Dead that basically the entire movie takes place in a shopping mall and all the zombies are trying to get into the mall and they're like it barricading is. themselves. So it it's is. like, it gives the, this, these neat bookends. Actually, that does make an interesting point though, because you're right, that was Dawn of the Dead, which was in the 70s. Um, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Night of the Living Dead is a really good movie too, but it's black and white and it's very like slow paced artsy with very little dialogue and stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, anyway. Yeah, I love all three of those movies. But yeah, Day of the Dead uh, actually takes place in an underground military base. So like that's that makes sense too. Obviously with the Russian base. So I guess we can get into like, it is weird that there's a Russian base underneath like the, the new mall in their town. Yeah. Because it's pretty sophisticated. Like, and they just like steal power from the town and no one cares just because the mayor covers it all up. Yeah, that was they pretty. Really uh, made the town like shitty. And the mayor's just a, like a shithead. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was not expecting <laughs> Carrie Elwes to suddenly show up. I was like, oh, damn, Princess Bride. <laughs> that was great. But yeah, um, like, I, I wasn't sure. Um, like, I, I know it takes place in the 80s. So, like, that's, again, something they're kind of highlighting a little bit, the time period that we're, like, you know, still, you know, peak of the Cold War with still then the Soviet Union. Yeah. Um, but, uh, like, I wasn't sure if that was, like, how much that played into it or if it wasn't just another sort of tie-in with the previous season's tactic because I think there was another line in uh, – in season two with Paul Reiser's character, who, by the way, I loved. Yeah, I thought he was fantastic in season two. Um, but I think it was near, uh, I think, uh, well, okay, now I can't remember at what point in the season it was, but it was where um, his, the scientist, uh, again, I can't remember the character's name, so I'm just gonna continue to say Paul Reiser. <laughs> Not about you, guy. Um, where he decides that he is going to um, uh, let, Nancy and Jonathan in on the secret so that they understand to just keep their secret. And I think uh, if I'm remembering this right, he's got just some sort of a, an offhand remark about how now you wouldn't want technology like this falling into the hands of say the Russians, would you? 
Mm. So I think that uh, that was sort of like playing, you know, the long con kind of thing, like really setting Hinting the stage the for that really future. early on. But like, I'd like to, if I had a chance to talk to the script writers, I'd, I would like to know, like if they always planned on going in that direction or if it wasn't something retroactively, they were like, oh, like we could totally do that because we set it up for that and we didn't even know it. Yeah. Uh, have you guys seen the trailer for season four? No. Oh, okay. Is that like, I, as soon as the, is that, that's on like at the end of the last episode or something? Oh, uh, I think it's like on YouTube or something. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. Is it, because, uh, okay, this is the thing that I'm slightly confused by, Matt, because when, Eric and I still had not seen season three yet, and we were discussing the possibility of talking about Stranger Things on the podcast. Oh. And I, you were sort of like very vague about the ending of season three, um, because uh, we were talking about how like, oh, like that Netflix is good for that because you can make another season if you want to, but you don't have to. And then we, it got brought up, oh yeah, like Stranger Things has already got season four in the pipeline. And so I said something to the effect of like, oh, so season three ends on like a cliffhanger or like it's clearly set up for season four. And you were like very kind of weird about it. You were just like, well, you know what? I'm not going to yeah, say anything. Uh, <laughs> it's because of the season, like the way season three ends, like we're going full spoiler, right? Yeah, spoilers. If in case I can't imagine oh, yeah. that anybody who doesn't yeah. want the show spoiled is like watching this far into it, but uh, you've been warned. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so, end of season three, Pop's dead. <laughs> well, is he though? That's what I'm. No, he's at, not. At the, at the very trailer. end, at the oh, okay. We'll see. I didn't see the trailer, <laughs> but. Um, after, uh, well, not completely after, but so like when uh, the last episode of season three ends, it starts doing the soft credits. But then after like only like maybe 20 seconds, it goes into like an after scene. Yeah. Where they're in, they're, now they're back in Russia and there's like in a bunker and um, they decide to like feed some random Russian dude that we don't know, some prisoner they had to a demigorgon that they still had. And I don't know if it's meant to be implied that that might be Dart, maybe Dustin's demigorgon, mm -hmm. or just another demigorgon that they got from somewhere. But when they let him, when they take him out of the jail cell, just before they do, they almost open a different door. But then the Russian soldier stops him and says, no, 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 not the American, this one. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that I thought that might've been alluding to the fact that he had survived. But the trailer gives that away, does it? Yeah, he's just straight up in the trailer. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> like, they don't even I hide it. the code. <laughs> yeah, I thought... It, it's funny because, to me, like, the with Hopper's death scene, death scene, it was so, like... It was so clearly Hopper's death scene, even though, like... I don't know. She could have just given him a few more seconds to run up the stairs or whatever, but whatever. Anyway... <laughs> And then, yeah, he just gets obliterated. So, like, how did I don't know? It was I. I when that yeah, scene where he says "not the American" to the prison cell, I wasn't even thinking Hopper because he was so dead in my mind. I guess because uh, the whole end of the show was like everyone being sad that Hopper's dead. Yeah, 
Oh, and, and they're moving away. But yeah. Yeah, that's you. They done. They done tricked me. I mean, like, it's. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say it. It's Stranger Things, so there's not. It's hard to imagine them writing anything that would explain his survival that would come across as hard to believe. Like basically anything they write is going to be like, right, of course, of course that's how he survived because like weirder things, stranger things have happened. Sorry, I cut you off, Matt. (laughs) I was going to say like, part of me kind of thinks it would have been better if they kind of kept him dead. Like let the other characters kind of take the helm. Mm. And see how they would handle the situation without Hop. Yeah, bringing characters back from the dead is a pretty tired and trying trope. Um, Especially so. like so like unless Hob doesn't show up until like the end of season four. Mm. Like if he's just back immediately, then it's like okay, what was the point of telling? Yeah, yeah. They'll def- they're definitely going to have to like justify it really well though you know like i i always liked hopper but like in the first two seasons like he um kind of a jerk but he had a a lot of redeemable qualities as well so he was a lovable jerk yeah season three at least in the first like three episodes or so it was like there was nothing really like i don't know all of the the stuff that you liked about him seemed to melt away and he was just and again i get what they were going for you didn't have anything to worry about yeah, I know, but like it was the whole, um, like, oh, he's just like the overprotective father cliche. Yeah. But like they didn't balance it out with anything. He was just rage, rage, rage. And it just kind of made me stop liking him, at least for the first part. But... Yeah, I felt that way about Hopper and Mike in season three, that they just made them both like into jerks in all their scenes and there was like nothing to like about them. I was kind of, kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, Mike was kind of a jackass in season three. Mike is, in general, kind of seemed to take a bit of a backseat in season three. Oh, yeah. He wasn't featured anywhere near as prominently, and he feels like he's, like, the main character. Yeah, he did. Yeah, well, now it's definitely, like, it, it almost feels like, I mean, there are obviously several main characters, but feel they put a ton of focus on Joyce, and she's just the same character as ever. Yeah. Like, she just keeps like screeching. I love Joyce. <laughs> She's such a good mother. She cares so much. <laughs> I, feel, I, feel, I feel so bad for her in season one. Like, good lord. <laughs> a poor woman. <laughs> I I really liked Winona Ryder after yeah. the series so far. And she's not typically an actress that I think about really at all. Um, and I know that she gets a lot of flack, like a lot of criticism for being kind of not not wooden, but I don't know. Maybe the opposite of that. Maybe hamming it up a little bit too much. Um, well, but, I thought uh, she was perfect. Miss. Yeah, she 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 played the character pretty convincingly. I thought she felt uh, well. I mean, I guess it goes hand in hand with uh, the whole feel of Hawkins being just like an everyday town that like anybody would have grown up in, but like it um it gelled well with that like she felt like just another mom that i would have known growing up yeah like i was supp- mom who's gonna fuck a high school student. <laughs> 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 
Hi, Steve. <laughs> Hi, ladies. <laughs> that was one of my absolute favorite parts from season two. Um, when Billy goes to their house, when he's like looking for his sister. And that's the first inkling that we get of that, like, totally right. hitting on, like, the neighborhood MILF. <laughs> It was God, just, it dad, was so well played. such a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> or, or is the new word simp, I guess. Whatever. Mm. <laughs> I don't know the what kids. the kids are saying. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys have like, um, uh, like a favorite character throughout the series? Um, hmm. I mean, probably Steve. Yeah, yeah honestly, Steve. Steve. I really like how Steve, like, uh, he, he's like the typical, you know, TV show character that starts off as a huge jerk and eventually comes around. And then after he comes around, he's like an awesome character. So I definitely like Steve. Honestly, I like Billy, too. Even like, yeah. even though he's like a big dick. Like, I just feel like, uh, I don't know. I like that. I like the... I don't know, the badass 80s, like, I don't know, it just reminds me of a like, uh, karate kid or something. Yeah, although I was a little bit surprised that they didn't turn Billy, like they didn't do with him kind of what they did with Steve. Because um, there's that um, scene in season two where they're playing basketball and he totally like dunks on him, just shoves Steve to the ground and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, now he's asserting his dominance and all that. But then he's got that scene where he like helps him up and whispers like advice in his ear. And so you get this notion like, oh, okay, like he's kind of playing the same role. He's acting like the badass because he's like, it's this big power struggle, but deep down he's really the softy. But then they kind of didn't go into that any further. No, you kind of just stuck to being like the shithead. And I guess, like, that was reinforced by, like, when we finally meet his stepfather, who's maybe the only character worse than Erica. <laughs> but, um, and that was another <laughs> thing that I was kind of surprised uh, that they didn't bring back for season three. That, because now, like, there, there's even, like, a number of scenes of Elle and Max hanging out in Max's house. And yet the father is mysteriously absent. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were, if they were trying to apply something like the like he goes out a lot like he's just gone. He's gone time. a lot, or maybe the well, uh, it's unlikely the mom kicked him to the curb because that's kind of the whole point why she's with him in the first place. She doesn't have yeah. the the strength, but mm -hmm. uh, hmm. I feel like um, I don't know. I feel like there was a lot of stuff that I wished I would have seen more of in season three. I feel like there was a ton of stuff going on in season three. At one point, I was like counting up the subplots and there were like five or six going on at once. Like every character um, had like a little thing going on. <laughs> yeah. Really? Um, I, whatever happened with like, why did the Mind Flayer people want all the fertilizer and stuff? Did we ever really figure that out? I, I think it was just an implication that it had something to do with changing their chemical composition. Because there was that one line where they referenced their their science teacher. And they're like, remember in this class, we were talking about chemistry. And he said, what do you do when you mix chemicals together? Oh, like you change their chemical makeup. 
So it was just supposed to be like an. They're changing the, yeah. Yeah, like a, just kind of a way of turning oh. to the camera and be like, hey, audience, you guys watching this so far? Just so you know, it's because they're See, trying to change things, okay? We don't have time to really explain this. So let's just get back to the story. Well, maybe that makes sense. Maybe that's what enabled it to like turn all those people into like the goo that it used as part of its body. Like maybe it needed to do that in order to use them like that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it, it wasn't until I had completely finished the season that I suddenly remembered, all right, that's why that's how the whole season starts is with the rats exploding. Yeah. Like I completely forgot about yeah. that part. So it's like, he's kind of starting small. All he can get is the rats at first, but the rats can't fight back and there's nobody to, nobody cares about rats anyway. So it was like an easy initial way to kind of get a baseline and then he could move up from there sort of thing. But so, yeah, I guess he was, he was just trying to accumulate material to add to his mass. And, but as far as the fertilizer goes, I don't know. It was just, we're just supposed to accept it, that it had something to do with breaking down their cellular integrity or science, science, science. I don't know. Pretty much. <laughs> big, big science. Watch out. Steve got, uh, got the crap kicked out of him by the Russian guards, eh? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, nobody's, like... Uh, yeah, see, I didn't like that. I didn't like how, like, maybe it's just because I'm used to the tropes, but I was like, he comes back out and he's with, like, his co-worker again, and they're being held together, and she's not even like, oh, man, you look pretty rough, Steve. What happened? Are you all right? It's just like, it just keeps on rolling. Well, I think I think when she first gets dragged into the room, it's really quick, but he's kind of, like, lying on his side and facing away, so maybe she can't really see him too well. But then they're immediately tied up back-to-back anyway. But that was another thing. Like, I, I liked what they did with um, the new character, Robin. Like, I thought that was, that was really name. neat. I was trying to remember his name. Yeah, how they kind of, like, um, you know, they played with that relationship and then managed to rely on a lot of cliches, but then turn it into something still kind of semi-unexpected. It was refreshing how they turned on its head that trope about how, like, oh, every character has to be romantically paired up with somebody. You've got Ellen Mike, um, you know, um, um, now Lucas and Max, um, Nancy and Jonathan, and then along comes this new character, Robin, and it really follows the cliche pretty closely about how they start off hating each other, but then they've got all these experiences together and learn that they really like each other. But then, in the end, it turns out that that's not uh, what uh, Robin is all about. Um, and uh, it was it was cool that they pulled that change up just to keep things fresh and interesting. Um, but I also felt like it kind of endeared us to um, uh, to Steve a little bit more too, because it's just like that much more like exemplifies how like he's such a nice guy why can't he just catch a break <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i definitely felt bad for steve but he was he was fine with it that was cool too yeah especially for like i think part of what they were trying to highlight on that too was the fact that it was the 80s a time yeah. when it might be a little bit more likely to run into 
cases of bigotry or just people writing people off and stuff like that. And he, once he got quickly over enough the shock and the disappointment, he just immediately went straight into, yeah, but like, I like you so much. Obviously we're like clearly good friends and they just like immediately like nothing happened, like old friends and everything. I really felt for them though too because if I'm going to be completely honest I felt myself really falling for Robin too. <laughs> yeah. I was like oh no. <laughs> yeah, I liked her. She's great. We were also we were before we were talking about um favorite characters. We mentioned Steve and Bobby. Um anybody else that you really enjoyed uh throughout the show? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I really like Joyce, as I said before. Fair enough. I, I like Dustin a lot. Yeah, Dustin's good. I was surprised to see, like, in season three, his teeth are gone again. And <laughs> that, like, wasn't even addressed at all. <laughs> like, I think there was just a line at some point about how, like, oh, yeah, like, he's got a disease that happens or something like that. And that was it. <laughs> Yeah, well, they referenced uh, him not having collarbones. Right. When he was mm. uh, trying to squeeze through the uh, the air duct. Yeah. Yeah, Dustin. Uh, okay, so here's another thing for me. The, the, I had, not that I, I, like, obviously enjoyed the season, but there were a lot of things that stuck in my head at the time that I just brushed off, but now afterwards I think about them, like... Mm. Uh, like at the very beginning of the season, Dustin's like trying to use his homemade radio tower to communicate with his mysterious girlfriend that everybody thinks is fake. And then at the end, she's real, and they do like a really bizarre sing along. Um, like in the heat of the moment when the shit is hitting the fan, and like moments like that always frustrate me when a character is not able to explain to someone just how urgent something is. So, like, they have to go through the whole rigmarole. I don't know. That's just a personal pet peeve of mine. But I get it. That's how TV generally Yeah. Goes. They played it off for the joke of it because, like, in re- you, would, you would at least hope. You would never in real life know a person that would hear them say, this is an emergency. I don't have time to explain. Just trust me and go along with it. And their reaction is to say, no, I'm not even going to whatever. <laughs> and it's like, what? Who was like that? Just... Excuse me. Do it, damn it. Yeah. And on top of that, if she really was like that, why do you like this person? Right. Like, she's, she seems, we've only known this character for 30 seconds, and she already seems so completely self-absorbed. Compiled or compounded by the fact that he, like, spent, like, all night when he first got home trying to communicate with her, and, like, she never got back to him but, like, at the end, it's sort of, like, it feels like, oh, you know, why didn't I hear from you, Dustin? Like, who's that girl on the radio with you? <laughs> and, like, like yeah. how he keeps, he keeps talking about, like, how perfect she is, how wonderful she is in every single way. And our first impression of her is not a good one. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's going to be something with them in season four. Mm. You would like, think like so. how, they, how, they, how they all, like, pointed out to her, pointed out to Dustin, like, She's actually not great. You should like, <laughs> like it could just be like the only reason he is like obsessed with her is because she's acknowledging him. Yeah, 
Yeah, it could be. <laughs> I, like Dustin's another character that kind of, like Steve, keeps just running into hard luck. Like that. That's why they're good friends. Heartbreaking scene at like the the snowball in season two. season two. Yeah, that was. I I felt very <laughs> sad in that scene. Even like yeah. him getting to dance with Nancy, like I, I just couldn't stop feeling bad for Dustin. Yeah. Oh my God, I was so mad. Speaking of Nancy, that like, uh, and again, I know that like it's this is another example of them trying to be like it, it's the '80s. It was a different time. You could get away with bullshit like this. But how yeah. Nancy had to keep putting up with those like the board of guys, like all the the male reporters and everything. Yeah. And just like, you know, they, this is a man's job, toots, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it was very over the top. It was the 80s. <laughs> yeah. And funny enough, just I just literally thought of this on the spot as another um, uh, parallel. But one thing that I was thinking about earlier, how I was talking about how, like, they kind of changed a little bit about Hopper, how he was a little bit more of a jerk, not so meant much of the redeeming qualities, and he kind of became sort of like his whole character was just about the gag of the overprotective father. I really felt like he kind of became this more of a Ron Burgundy sort of character. And, uh, and, and that was the same thing with Anchorman, right? It was all about how only men can read the news. But like Hopper even looks like Ron Burgundy. He's got the stash yeah. going and the longer hair. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was intentional. Yeah, yeah. What what would you say um, were like, because I think we're all in agreement that it's a pretty great show. Um, and like when I first started watching it, I, I liked the show. I wasn't as obsessed about it. Um, I think just because it seemed a little overhyped at the time. It was kind of like what Tiger King is right now. Like it was the only thing that anybody <laughs> yeah. would talk about. Mm -hmm. Um uh, so yeah, I just I thought it was a little overrated, but in preparation for the podcast, I went back and and started from scratch again. And I gotta say, I I really love this show now. But it's really good. like, do you like what are some of like the low points of the show, or like things in general you would criticize it for? Okay, I'll start this off. Uh, I did not like Elm City in season two. Hmm. Right like the universally accepted worst episode of the series. Yeah. Like I, I just did not give an absolute shit about that whole segment. I was, I was bored. <laughs> I mean, I liked the idea of it and there were nuggets of parts that were really good. Like the whole, like meeting her sister and the sisters also got powers, but they're kind of different. And then how she's like, she's had a different experience than Elle. So she's kind of had to learn how to survive on the streets and she's turned to a life of crime, but like how she like justifies it and all that stuff. I thought that was, that was pretty interesting, at least in concept. Um, but the way it was executed, the way it all came together did feel a little forced. Yeah, it just kind of happened and then it just, like she came back to Hawkins, and that was it. Like, yeah, it's like like a lot happens, and but it's all just one episode. It's just, oh, yeah, wow. It's it's just like a meanwhile, and then like yeah, let's get back to the actual story. And especially when you consider that that's how the season started, you thought like, oh wow, that's going to be really interesting. And then like it takes what like seven or eight episodes 
for this character to finally come back and then they're just done with her. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. I also wasn't too crazy about like the trope of like all of the thugs and they're like, oh, like I know we seem like all like a bunch of jerks, but the thing that brings us together is that we're all outcasts. Yeah, you know what? I still wouldn't hang out with those guys. <laughs> Even if I had that common bond with them, they're just kind of like the, the Indian, I can't remember her name. I, oh, well, she didn't have a name. She was known as, I guess, eight. But, um, oh, or maybe she was given a name. I don't remember. I know that her tattoo number was number eight. That sounds a little like, yeah, I barely remember any yeah. of those characters. I can't even picture them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, they were just there to, to slot it. And even then, it seemed kind of like a parody. Like, when she's introducing them, they're like, this is our driver. This is our muscle. And it's like, just stereotype, stereotype, stereotype. Yeah, like, why is this a weird heist movie thing now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they were so, like, one-dimensional. Like, uh, it was, like, I don't know, I guess it was, like, another 80s reference that they had those kind of punky, like, characters or whatever. Yeah. This is unneeded. The funny part to me was, like, yeah, after I watched season three and then I went and started watching all these, uh, like, YouTube, like, critiques and overviews of the show, when, like, almost all of them that critique the show bring up that episode... And, like, the first time I saw it, like, yeah, like, in this last week or whatever, I was like, I totally forgot that it even was an episode. And immediately <laughs> I was just like, oh, yeah. Because, like, you know, whether I liked or didn't like certain parts, um, I definitely remember the feeling of, like, just wanting it to be over to get back to Hawkins. Yeah. Like, it, it's such a weird... It almost felt like a spinoff show accidentally ended up in the main episode list. Mm. Like, what the fuck is this? Where's, where's the main story? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I pretty much brought up most of the stuff that I didn't like about the show. It's all little, like, nitpicks and critiques. Um, I do, like... I wish they would get back to the vibe of the first season somehow, although I'm sure that's impossible. Um, Unless they introduce like an even crazier threat, like they're prepared for this stuff now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see how they like get away with season three being like, oh, it's just the season two monster all over again. But like, there's a different angle on it. But season four is for sure gonna have to do something different. Yeah. Season three is much more comedic compared to the other two. It was very funny. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot of like bright upbeatness too with like the, yeah. the mall and the, the carnival, which were both cool and fun. Yeah, the mall was a really cool location. Yeah. Like, I want to go to that mall. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it was really interesting. I've never been a mall rat. In fact, I've always kind of like my experience of actually going to the mall has has always been like ah, i don't really want to go but whenever i see like old depictions of shopping malls it almost makes me nostalgic for a time that i wasn't really a part of almost or that even when yeah. I, I was around for it i didn't appreciate at the time and they always make it look like it's the greatest place in the world <laughs> yeah yeah because like the malls in reality you're just like just where the stores are, whatever. Like, 
like it didn't really seem like a hangout place, you know? Yeah, yeah. But like, uh, well, and, and like that might have been the thing for me. Like, uh, there wasn't really a mall super close by to my house, certainly not mm-hmm. in walking distance. So you had to get driven. And I don't know that I was necessarily a really sheltered kid. I don't think I was that much. But at the same time, my parents were not the sort to just let me wander around on my own either, even just like with a friend. But like that first scene when Elle and Max go to the mall and it's just like this eyes wide open, like, what do you want to do first? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like for such a small town, that's like a theme park. Yeah, it's like the world is our oyster. And that was another like running theme of like how the mall is, you know, shutting down all the small business. Yeah, I like I like that part of it, like the little random thing they threw in there with the protesters in front, and how it made that point about because like, uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I've like heard stuff like that before, but I wonder if it was the '80s when that happened, when like the the shopping mall became like a, a thing, and it really did kill a lot of small towns. It's kind of neat. Yeah. that must have been around the era. They're gonna throw in Stranger Things, which is '80s the show. <laughs> and it, it's it's funny watching that today because now the mall is Amazon yeah, and the, the mall is the small shops. Yeah, the mall's going down now. It didn't last that long. In so like 30 years from now, when there's a new series being made that's going to be about this time, but it's, it'll be the Stranger Things equivalents, we'll get to see how like the mall is all like in hard times. It's going to be set like androids and robots and shit. <laughs> this is a total tangent too, but just I don't know when else I'm going to talk about this. For some reason, shopping malls and like being in a shopping mall or lost in a shopping mall or something that's supposed to be a shopping mall but then turns into something else is the single most common reoccurring element in my dreams. I don't know why. Hmm. I've had so many dreams where I'm in a mall. Wow. That's, I don't know why. Uh, that's, something in, that's something in your subconscious mind, son. <laughs> why don't you lay down and talk to me about your problems? Probably does. It probably, well, oh, I yes. think my, my, uh, probably my biggest fear as a kid was getting lost. And I do have this one memory, but it wasn't in a mall though. It was at like the grocery store. I was there, just my dad was just buying groceries and he lost me for like just a second. And I went into a state of full panic. Somehow that got translated into a mall, I think. So it was sort of like, oh, like the mall is such a big, scary place with all these different stores. So if you lose who you're with, you don't even like you know gone. what store to start looking in, much less, you know, like they, they could be really anywhere. But, uh, I'll play Heavy Rain. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hot tip. <laughs> <laughs> Opening scene, you lose your kid in the mall and he gets hit by a car because he wants oh. to Oh dear. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna Press stay X to there. Jason. <laughs> I like um I like malls as a setting in fiction. Like I always I don't know, I mean it, this mall was like they didn't spend that much time in the mall, but like the times in no, I feel like the times time in Sahoy were pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dawn of the Dead, like how they like fortify the mall. It just becomes yeah. like a base camp. Like, I always like stuff like that. Yeah, a mall is a great location for like zombies and stuff. 
<laughs> and even um, like the, the atrium uh, seemed to like uh, be very similar in style to to Dawn of the Dead. Oh, like the layout of it with the, the layout of the big upper level, the and... glass roof and everything, and yeah, it has to be an homage. It seemed reminiscent of it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Actually, watching all these um, uh, like Stranger Things analysis YouTube videos has made me realize like how much like direct homage there is. There's like so many scenes that are almost like straight taken out of like eighties movies and stuff, and like even like. Uh, I, I really liked um, uh, a few of the Russian characters, mainly like the guy who like one of these videos referenced says the knockoff Terminator. And then I was like, oh yeah, he is a knockoff. Yeah, yeah, he's a Terminator. Earlier how you were talking so about how there were, there were so many subplots that you were like forgetting some of them. Yeah. That was one right yeah. at the end before Hopper dies. And all of a sudden, that character shows up again. And I'm like, oh, right, him, the guy that's been chasing them all this time. Like, there's so the much going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and clearly, clearly Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. ripoff. And uh, I like the, I don't know, like the goofy scientist that they kidnapped that, like, yeah, he was great. Tom and Jerry and stuff. <laughs> Or like, I really like, I can't remember the character's name, but the other guy that was with them, like the paranoid guy that like- Yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah. Right, he was really great. I liked how um, uh, he wasn't just sort of like the the cue of, from season two, uh, where they go to like get the advice and he helps them out, but then just kind of sends them on his way. He took like a little bit more because, of like a strong role. Yeah, that was pretty neat. Cool. I always like scenes in, um, like movies or anything where like where like they don't know he knows Russian and then he starts speaking Russian. I always like stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> like uh And it, like they're just shitting on hop like in Russian. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, Hop uh Hop didn't have a good season. No. No, not as good. Oh, was... you know what bugs me too? is that L has become like all powerful and like the solution to every problem is just like L using psychic powers to annihilate and like nothing anybody else does almost seems to even matter at this point. Yeah. Yeah, she's a MacGuffin at this point. That it seemed like um, that was what it was building towards. And so it did have that feeling of like the writers sort of realized that, well, if this is how this character is, then that's just how it would be. Like, if you knew somebody that was all-powerful, then you probably would just start relying on her for everything, which is why I think they had to, like, strip her of her powers completely by the end, because that was the only way they could really keep it interesting. It's like Superman, right? Like, Superman is yeah. easily my least favorite superhero, because, like, exactly. he's, he's interesting at first, and then gets real boring real quick when there's... Like the only, the only way they can keep any kind of a struggle for him going is the struggle to not go totally batshit Super Saiyan and destroy the universe. Because the reality is, is that you just can't beat him. He can beat anybody in any situation. He has come back from the dead how many times? 
Um, even when they like try to explain away like his powers, like, oh, he gets powers because it's a different colored sun. So if you just take that away from him, then he doesn't have his powers. No, somehow he comes back from that too. He's just yeah. he's just totally invincible. So I I, I think that uh, again, like uh, kind of what I said earlier about how the writers I think are doing a good job of figuring out what the next logical step is. I think if they wanted for there to be a season four, this was the only thing that they could have done. They had to they had to bring her back to to ground zero again and just like have her start off with nothing. Yeah, I hope it stays that way for a while in just season four. She'll obviously get her powers back, but yeah. it would be nice yeah. to I'd like to see like all the kids kind of like become a group again. So I feel like that really got lost over season two. They were very separated this season. Yeah. And I mean like, you know, Dustin was like, you know, hundred feet underground. Yeah. A thousand feet more. There like, were all there was like it seemed like there was like three distinct groups all doing their thing all at once. And uh, even the way that the season ended, uh, they were, you know, physically moving and everything. So it did seem, if, yeah. if the first couple seasons were about unity, this one was definitely more about the separation and the breaking apart of it. And like, uh, you know, even their their interests, like they're clearly growing up, they're sort of don't the have D &D much time for D&D. &D and, and then Will has that freak out where, yeah. you know, he's like realizing, oh, like everybody else, kind of has two years on me. The last two yeah. of my year, years of my life, I didn't really get to live. So I'm sort of behind people, you know what I mean? So it's like, he's still got that slightly more immature. Yeah, he just wants to play D&D. He just wants yeah. to play games. And meanwhile, they're getting they're girlfriends like, and stuff. They're dating, yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was that too. And I wish they would have like explored that more. For sure. Well, uh, I guess we can use that then as a segue just in, cause I don't, I'm not sure how much more longer this final segment is going to go, but I wanted to just finish with um, like, what would you like then to see in season four? Mm. I'm curious if like Will and like Joyce and all them, are they just, it is done? Cause they left, they're, they're out. Like what's going to happen with them? Yeah. Uh, I guess they sort of left that open too, because they made mention of like, well, I guess Mike did talking to Elle about how like, oh, like maybe you can come back for Thanksgiving and we'll go up because to your I place for Christmas or maybe it was vice versa. Um, so it seems like they're at least leaving the potential there. But um, I don't even really remember what the reason was for why they left. Just because I, I think they just they needed to go. Yeah. Well, it was because like Joyce was already considering leaving the town just because like uh, Bob died. Yeah. Like right. things were just like too fucked up for her. And then Hop dies. Right, and so like mm -hmm. she was considering staying. Hop was trying to convince her, you don't have to leave. I'm here to protect you. But then he they even had the they had the date ready too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. But it just, it, it, it also seemed like um, I couldn't help but look at it from like the kid's perspective. Like, Joyce has clearly been through more than her share of trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious you would want to get away from that. Um, but two things on that. Uh, number one, like I said, like looking at it from the kid's perspective, like Will doesn't really want to leave his friends and they're breaking up both 
Mike and Elle and Jonathan and Nancy. So it's yeah. like you might almost expect the mother to maybe not like, I don't know if it's insensitive it's a, to say that she's being selfish, but maybe a little bit. I think it's also a unique situation. Yeah, it's like, it might be just better to, you know what, just, just leave. Yeah, I guess, but at the same time, like you're you're making that decision for everybody yeah. too, and they, like, still have ties. They don't have the same motivation to move as Joyce does. That's number one, and number two, you might all almost have expected her to have a change of heart about that because she's got that talk with Hopper, where he tells her like, "I felt the same way when uh, Sarah died. I thought that yeah. I too." wanted to run away and get away from it but then i ended up just coming back home again so i don't know i thought that might have convinced her but again that could just be sort of foreshadowing how she's gonna come back to hawkins herself also. yeah um for me for the fourth season i would like uh they, they've talked about like it, it looks like the show is probably going to be four or five seasons. I, I would like to see okay. like four to get back to the grittiness and somehow set it up where like, yeah, like they, they it kind of gets back to the feeling of like, everybody's got to come together to solve the problems. I feel like that was big in the first season was like everybody, like all these people were coming at this problem from different angles, but then they all sort of like found each other in the end and they all solved the puzzle together Um, and it's like it's like D &D again right like everybody plays their specific role in their party and they have a unique skill to contribute yeah yeah i would like dirty you have to get together and finish the fight (laughs) that's how you do the most that's how you do it like you have to work together big time i would like to see that and then i'd like to see like like we've kind of talked about i like to see the stakes get raised where like it's like things just get extra upside downy and like it's like really because like the whole um sort of like climactic battle against the mind flare in the atrium of the mall like didn't feel that threatening to me like it billy's thing was cool where he like stood up to it and like final stand or whatever but yeah, it was um, it was a a great scene, but it kind of felt like more of a midway climax than a end of season climax. A little bit, yeah. it felt sort of like a mini boss than the final boss. To yeah, put it in another way. Yeah, it just didn't feel that threatening somehow. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. I I I would really like to see it um, get back a little bit more to the horror roots of it too because again like i know it's all monsters and people being zombified and stuff like that but uh again it's sort of like just the same as the reality has been adjusted for these characters they're sort of used to it by now well it's kind of the same for the audience we're kind of used to it by now let's get something that really scares us again i think part of that should be um we have a lot of characters in (laughs) <laughs> yeah it, it could use one some thing focus. one thing horror movies do good is uh feeling the hurt mm. if you want to raise the stakes you got to take out some characters 
Yeah. And yeah. like even even the characters that they did kill off are apparently just coming right back again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like the way they did that with Hopper in this season, I uh, like I remembered earlier they did that with uh, Eleven after season one too. Mm. Like yeah. she made a big sacrifice, um, and supposedly died, but then they just brought her back. And I was surprised how quickly they brought her back too. Like there was like almost like like it was almost like she didn't even really have hardly any struggle. She was right. kind of like a little bit scared for like a minute, and then immediately found a portal back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she kind of just took a break for a bit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> took a breather. Yeah, that was, it did have a, a feeling of like, oh, geez, we need to bring Elle back. Let's just, whatever, we're on the clock, guys. Let's just, she found a portal. Okay, she's back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, there needs to be uh, uh, an even greater threat this time around. I was kind of surprised that um, with season two of Stranger Things, um, it was still the same upside down. I kind of expected season two to be some whole completely new phenomenon that they mm. stumbled upon. Mm. But uh, I guess that's what they're going with. So now that that's sort of the lore, then I guess it makes sense to stick with that now. Yeah. What did the upside down even come into play in season three at all? Not really. It was more Russian. Than... Oh gosh. Uh, I feel like there was. Well, when um, the mind flayer was like got Bob uh, Billy, he yeah. sort of had that flash into the upside down for like a second, and he like sort of was confronted by that mob of zombies that he had already gotten. And then I think, I feel like there was also a moment where um, Elle was trying to figure out where Joyce and Hopper were. And they were in the middle of walking through the woods, but then she saw, she saw into the upside down and something like that. But it was all just kind of very visual. I don't think that anybody ever actually, actually went there. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the whole season was preventing access to it. It's like, that's what the Russians were fucking doing. Yeah, because I think that was, that was the one line that kind of rung for me the most of, as like, okay, like, this is what the season is going to be about. How season two, they locked the gate. But then it was like, um, so have, have you seen Watchmen? No. Okay, so there's a, a scene with a character named Rorschach, who's like a freedom fighter. But because he's a vigilante, He's technically, even though he's a good guy, he's still breaking the rules. So they arrest him and throw him in jail. And there's this great scene where all of the prisoners um, that he's locked in with, like most of them are there because of him. So they've got this plan, they're gonna take him out. But then he just like fucking destroys them all. And he's got this amazing scene where the guards have to come and like restrain him and take him away. He's like, you guys just don't get it. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me and all this stuff. <laughs> That's kind of what season three was like. It was like they locked the gate, but oh, wait a minute. What if we locked the monster in with us? Oops. Yeah. Right. So that, I think that was, that was kind of the point of it. And so it made sense. But having said that, I did like the upside down a lot. So yeah, it would be cool if they could get back there. Yeah. If they get to tap into that a bit more, that'd be, that'd be really cool. 
It seems like the mind flare is probably going to be back, right? Because in the final episode, like when, or before they closed the gate, but when, or I think it was in the final episode, they were kind of talking about how to solve this problem, the kids. And uh, they referenced how, like, if the gate closed, then, you know, they might get everybody back that has been possessed by the mind flare because, like, it's like brain or the mind that's controlling it is in the upside down. It's just has its kind of tentacles here or whatever. It's, it's using like Billy or whatever. So I guess like technically it's still over there. So like you have to go on the upside down and finish it in there. Right. And even figure out. You have to, you have to get the brain or the heart or whatever. Yeah. You're just taking out the limbs. Shoot the flashing weak spot. Yeah. (laughs) But the weak spot's in the water temple while you're in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it! Yes. <laughs> I don't have the iron boots yet. Right on. Okay, so we've only got like a few minutes left before this uh, okay. this last session is uh, going to kick us out again. So I think this is probably a good spot to end it. Um, maybe after season four comes out, then uh, we can revisit this topic again. Yeah. Definitely. Sounds and good. You Sounds should good. go and watch uh, the trailer. Yeah, I'm going to do that yeah. right now. <laughs> right on. Okay, cool. Well, um, once again, I don't know uh, who is either watching or listening to this, but uh, whoever you are, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And oh. um, we didn't. Uh, oh, he's back. I was it's wondering so where you were. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, we don't have yet an agreed on topic for next week, but I guess we'll figure that out, but we'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel with something else interesting to chat about. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in other affiliated projects, you can check out my blog, at curseyoujordan.home.blog where I write about some more esoteric aspects of games that appeal to me or you can visit my channel at youtube.com slash user slash curseyoujordanshow where you'll find video game walkthroughs, commentaries, vlogs, and a video version of this podcast. Conversely, if you're currently watching the video but are interested in an audio-only version, you'll find that at anchor.fm slash superfuntime. The Superfuntime podcast thingy hour is produced by Jordan Rowmaker, Matt Frappa, and Eric McLennan. The opinions expressed are solely those of the individual. Thank you for listening.